I'm having a good time. You are? Yeah. I can tell. We are rolling. Terrible happy talks. Terrible happy talks. Terrible happy talks. Terrible happy talks. Today's guest is Craig Bud Branch. Bud, a nickname he acquired as a child and in which he is best known by, is a three-time Winter Olympic Alpine ski racer, specialising in the downhill and Super G events. Craig represented Australia at the Salt Lake City, Torino and Vancouver Winter Olympic Games. He spent 10 years on the World Cup Tour and qualified for six World Championship events. Bud is also a passionate surfer, husband and new father to his son, Ziggy. I also consider Bud to be one of my best friends. Since retiring in 2010 after the Vancouver Olympics, Bud has maintained an international career as a ski racing coach and he is now Director of Alpine Sports and the Head Coach at Threadpo Resort in New South Wales, Australia. Despite his desire to go fast on a set of skis, Bud is relaxed, calm and patient by nature. He's deeply connected to surfing in the ocean and aside from mountains around the world, the ocean is his other happy place since he was a child. Today, Bud is with me to share his journey, experiences, challenges and hopes for the future. Craig Bud Branch, <laughs> welcome. Thanks for having me, Shan. How are you, brother? Good, man. Good dude, to be on. Dude, can you describe to us like where, where we're sitting right now? We're sitting in a little, uh, a little hut here in Padang Padang. Just had a little holiday together in Nus Lombongan and now we're uh, got another few days in beautiful Padang Padang around the Uluwatu region. And, so uh, good down yeah, here. Hopefully get a few waves together, man. Mm. I'm looking forward to it. Like we we're just talking about this earlier when we we're walking down the street. Um, which I just feel so at home here. Like, yeah. You feel the same? Yeah, man. I just I love coming. And surfing left hand, left hand reef breaks around here. And, why uh, why we've, left hand? Well, we we well, I'm a goofy footer. Clearly, you know, goofy footers love going left. But uh, I don't know. I've spent quite a bit of time here over the last ten years or so, especially with my wife, with you guys, with hmm. a bunch of friends, and yeah, it's just a beautiful place around here, man. Yeah, like when was the first time you came here? How old were you? Was it in your twenties? I was actually pretty old. Like. You know, as an Aussie surfer, lot, lot, lots of Aussies come here when they're pretty young. But um, I think I was around, what was I, mid-20s maybe? Yeah. Mid-20s, nice. Yeah, it was my first time here. I'd, I'd never been here. I only came here after a, a boat trip we'd been on and sort of checked it out. And um, yeah, loved the place. So spent quite a bit of time, not quite, not, not a lot of time, but definitely came back probably almost every year for the last 10 years yeah, missed wow. a few years there with work and being busy with you know winter winter associated things and having kids and doing things like that so yeah, yeah. it's in the way like aside from <clears throat> aside from the epic waves and and obviously predominantly left hand waves down here on the Bukit peninsula which is like goofy foot of heaven um like what else do you, what else draws you to Bali? Like it can't be just the waves. The people, man. It's beautiful here. And what about them? The, I don't know. They're just beautiful people. Mm. You know, um, 
recently I've realised how much they love kids. Like, it's been amazing. But before that, it's, you know, they're just the most amazing people, great culture. Um, yeah, it's it's really nice to come here, it feels. Yeah. And they, lo- they love to have a laugh. Like, yeah. they just don't take shit seriously. No. <laughs> it's just sort of how it should be. Like us, man. It's I don't good. know, man. No, I, I, I don't take, take myself too seriously. It's, I've noticed it's kind that, of fun. I've noticed that about yeah. you. Like, yeah. Why? Because I, I know yeah. I take myself way too seriously. Mm. I'm, I'm working on it. Like, I'm mm. working on it. But like you, you've always, since I've known you, you've always seemed like someone that doesn't considering like you probably could have given, you know, you've had some high profile events happen in your life. Um, you know, is it just part of your nature or? Yeah, I don't know. I guess so. I I never really, um, took myself too seriously. I think it's one of the, one of the things my parents instilled in me was to be humble, you know? Mm. And I think that was sort of rung true through through my whole life and you know you do what you do and you know you just not try to take yourself too seriously and be humble i know it's a good way to live yeah. it's, it's hard though man yeah. especially in like such a weird time we live in with like instagram and social media and, and people making careers out of you know um the image on social media and then actually becoming like an influencer and it's just all about all about self-promotion which maybe i'm doing with that with the podcast i don't know Mm. but um yeah it's just strange times it is it's weird and i would hate i think i'd hate to be you know having to use that right now i used to hate selling myself i used to hate trying to go out there and and push myself and sell myself as a as a person or an athlete. So, you know, you, you, I, I always sort of would prefer to let what you do do the talking, you know. Oh, that's I just cool. sort of, yeah, I hated that stuff. And maybe I lost or didn't get a lot of sponsorship that maybe I could have. But, I, yeah. yeah, anyway, I just sort of, I didn't like that, you know. Yeah, because you, you were sponsored by... Um, numerous brands for skiing, like but Ripco was one, like your apparel brand, like oh, that were you one of your sponsors, and you're also sponsored by various ski companies as well over yeah. the years. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> do you, did you find that like when you started to get caught up in that, um, it became like how you sort of valued yourself self as a person? Like if you were getting free stuff and then other people were getting more free stuff, did you start to value yourself like that? Oh. Not really, man. Not really. You know, like I, it was great. It was awesome to get that support, you know, especially from an Australian company like Rip Curl. It mm. was, um, it was awesome. But no, I, you know, it was nice to get, but I didn't sort of worry too much about what other people were getting. And Yeah. You know. Just did your thing. Yeah. 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 So anyway, so where'd you grow up? Grew up, um, south of Sydney. Um, when I was young, I grew up in a little place called, uh, Karela, which is about an hour south of the city um close to Cronulla Beach and um yeah I grew up there as a kid um parents were super keen skiers they were super keen sort of sports people they loved yeah. everything you know they were they were surfers they were skiers uh water skiers divers my dad my mum and dad but both mum and dad were really you know sporty people yeah you know? so um you know especially you know qu- 
quite a long time ago. My my mum was like a surfer. She was a, used to barefoot water ski. My dad used to. T- I think that's why he liked it, you know, because yeah. she used to do all that stuff. And that's like way back in the day when it was, yeah. you know, it wasn't wasn't too common for the women to be doing all that yeah. kind of stuff, you know. So you just love being active, eh? Yeah, super active parents, and um, yeah, south of Sydney. So yeah, um, nice. we used to go down to either spend our winters down around the mountains down around Jindabyne and um we also had a grew up you know a little, spending a lot of time in the ocean down around Kiama <clears throat> is that so, where you learned to surf I'd say it would it would be yeah for sure you know I spent like every weekend or school holidays which wasn't winter time we used to spend down around Kiama there at um parents had a caravan there in um close to Kiama and uh you know, we used to spend most of our day in the ocean there. So whether it be surfing or swimming or being in the ocean or fishing or diving or jumping off rocks or, you know, all that kind of stuff, that was kind of where you learned to be in the ocean. And yeah, that was, um, yeah, for sure where I learnt my love of the ocean. And Yeah, like what age, like, I mean, that was just all through your early childhood pretty much, yeah? Yeah, man, as early as I can remember. I think I was going there when I was a baby. We had... Um, we had our grandparents had caravans on both sides of us, so it was a real family tight family unit, you know. So we used to go there all the time, and um, yeah, they were early, early days. So it was um, spent living in the sand and on the sand and in the ocean, <coughs> building <coughs> building your, your confidence in the ocean for sure, eh? Oh, for sure, man. That, yeah. I mean, they're they're the times you 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 learn stuff that. You know, just being comfortable in the ocean and learning the way the ocean moves, and and you just you take it for granted when you're older. But they're the years that are, mm. you know, those super important years to be to be learning all that stuff. Yeah, it's just like it's just hours in the ocean. That's that's what it comes down to. You can't you can't sort of buy that experience, you know. And when you see a lot of people getting into surfing in their later years, it's kind of like myself. Like I didn't really get into it till till my sort of late teens early 20s before i was really keen on it um mm. and then i compare myself to say you and and maybe ridgie and my mate nathan who basically were born doing what you did from the age of five they probably were riding you know bodyboards in the in the shorey and stuff like that just they just have this sort of next level um confidence and next level understanding of how how it all moves and works and mm. Yeah, you can't you can't buy that. No, you can't, man. It's like, yeah. My wife is Swedish. Yep. And she hasn't spent a lot of time in the water. And it really became apparent to me, you know, like you know, in the last 10 years or so every time I take her in the water that she just doesn't feel she doesn't feel confident. She doesn't feel the ocean move or what it's going to do. She just sort of panics and if you haven't learned that, not just her, but you know, a lot of people out there, if you don't know the ocean from 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 being a young kid, it's really it takes a long time to learn it. You know? Like all the intricacies, you yeah. Know? There's just yeah. little details, yeah. like, and you probably found that with like ski racing too. I bet over the years, like, <clears throat> you know, because how old were you when you first started skiing? Um, I want to say I was. I want to say I was about three when I first got on snow. I have no memories of that, mm. but from about the age of six or seven i've got a lot of strong memories of 
of, of skiing a lot with the family, you know, like um, spending a lot of time down the mountains here at uh, Perisher. We used to ski as a family. Um, you know, I got a lot of strong memories of that around six, seven, eight, nine, you know, so, so just those hours and hours and hours of family time on snow. Yeah. Yeah. Like, did it, was it one of those moments when you first put skis on and just like, like it just felt, it felt normal, like it just felt good straight away or was it, was it just through repetition that, you know, your parents kept going, like, come on, we'll go and scan and then, then you became comfortable? Well, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't remember the feeling of being comfortable back then. I think it was just, you know, as you said, that repetition of just going, going. My parents loved it. We were a family that did everything together. So it was like, you know, I got an older brother and an older sister, and you know, we all used to go and ski. It's just we like, had, it's we just had, what you did. Yeah, we had family friends that that skied, and it was, you know, you, you know, you, you find those. I guess your parents find those friends that like to do what they do and they've got kids as well and you all go down and ski and you just ski all day and you ski from from lift opening to lift closing and you ski all day and that's that's it, just over and over and over again. And um, yeah, that's they're those years that you can't like you said with the ocean, you can't you can't buy that knowledge and you can't buy that extra time there. It's like they're the important years of being a kid and just going out and ripping around and having yeah. fun and just it's crazy i remember when i was about like i started playing soccer when i was um my dad got me into like under seven soccer but i was like six mm. and um i remember i went to my first training session and i had a moment i was like this is epic because i was just like an adhd kid with too much energy and all of a sudden they're like there's a paddock with a ball just chase the ball try and kick it in the goal <laughs> 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 And then I remember I got home and he was like, listen, I want you to stand in the front yard and I want you to start juggling the ball. So, you know, try and keep it up in the air for as long as possible. And at the time I thought he was trying to get me to be better at soccer, but really he was just looking for things to get me the fuck out of the house. Yeah, you know, and yeah. that'll, that'll keep him entertained. Yeah. He goes, try and juggle it 10 times. And when you've done that, tell me. And then after that, try for 20. And after that, go for 100, you know. <laughs> and so it stays an end. But anyway, so I learned how Which to... Which is what we'll be doing with our... Two boys in the next for sure. I'm put, I'm gonna years. push. I'm gonna push my kids. I'm not, I'm not gonna make any any bullshit about yeah. that. I'm gonna gently push them because I think we talked about this. Like they don't they don't know what they want. You gotta. Mm. I don't know. Anyway, so then to this day, I'm in my forties and I I rarely pick up a soccer ball for some since those days of being six and seven trying to learn how to juggle a soccer ball. I can pretty much just pick up a soccer ball anytime and just juggle it mm. because it was those neurological pathways have just been completely ingrained. Yeah, they're there. So, uh, it's crucial. Yeah. It's like riding a bike. There's <laughs> <laughs> some truth. <laughs> it is, that's what they say. How do they come up yeah. with that? Because <laughs> you ride a bike when you're a kid. Yeah, true. You never forget. You get back on, you never forget. So, like, did they just put you into ski club early on? Or? Um that started through obviously I, I well i'm the I'm the youngest of three right so um my brother and sister were both in in the race club um and I guess as a younger sibling you've just you kind of get dragged along and that's what you do that's what you think you want to do because um because your older siblings are doing it, so I think I was around nine. Uh, I want to say it was nine or ten, maybe ten, and um, which was quite young to join the race club back then. 
and um, I had to go and do a tryout day for the Perisher Race Club and um, I think they knew I was quite young and I went and skied with the head coach at the time. He was a, you know, he was an Austrian guy that was, you know, pretty strict Austrian. That's what they are. They're like, you know, they were the, they were the kings of skiing back then and I think he said to my parents, well, he, he was going to have to be pretty strong to, to make the grade here and, um, yeah, anyway, I went and skied with those skied with the with the head coach there and he was um impressed enough to let me join the club so that was like yeah 10 years old and that's where it all started Perisher race club 10 years old joined the crew there and yeah and then so from there did you start to get some results and then um yeah i guess i mean 10 years old we used to do two race series a year that was like the new south wales champs and the the Australian Championships, that was like the two race series you'd do all, all season. And, yeah, I started hitting the podium, either either coming first or second in 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 both of those each year. And there was sort of one other guy that was exactly my age and we sort of, we grew up ski racing together the whole way through, you know, all the way through to the sort of the World Cup and the World Champs and Olympic level together, which was kind of bizarre, two Aussie two Aussie kids like um you know showing some success at a, on, on a world stage which is pretty bizarre really well, in, in a sport that's not really synonymous with Australia and no. Australian culture no not at all like that's what I've always loved about like you and are you talking about Jono no Jono, no Jono I, no no, oh, no that was like Jono's a little younger, younger than us um yeah. AJ Bear AJ Bear yeah. yeah yeah so AJ and myself are the same age and yeah met the guy when I was 10 years old and we ended up skiing till we were um yeah 28 years old to 30 no years 30 years old whatever we were yeah like yeah. around then and um yeah going all the way and competing yeah. on at, at the highest sort of level of the sport on the world know. tour yeah we grew up in a little ski resort and in uh, in Australia together like I said I've always found that so epic cuz um it's kind of like the Jamaican bobsled team, you know, like it's just <laughs> <laughs> cool runnings. Like yeah. it's just, it's just so, um, it must've been so hard, like just to be like from a, from a country that has like probably one of the shortest ski seasons in the world. Mm. Um, and a program that's, and, and, and mountains that w- wouldn't be considered, would you consider them world-class mountains? Uh, oh, I mean, I guess, look, look, they're fun. They're yeah. fun. There's, okay. there's some great skiing in Australia. Let, yeah. you know, let's be honest. But, it, you know, if you compare it to some of the, the mountains around, around the world, you might, I guess you'd, it'd be a stretch to call it world class. But it, yeah. it's definitely fun. I still love going and skiing in Australia. You know, it's home. There's great skiing. But, yeah, it's you don't have those huge mountains and big peaks and thousands of kilometers of terrain and interlinked resorts all over you know you know it's just yeah so when when it's yeah when did you get a taste for that though when was the first Um, time you actually went overseas to ski well i actually went overseas when i was 10 years old um i was also whilst being a part of the perisher race club i was also involved in uh department of sport and recreation program which was you know obviously a government government program there and 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 that was run um out of jindabyne um it was a three-week program uh, which was run through august there'd be a group of kids say 40 or 50 kids that would go down 
part of that program, at the end of that three-week program, there'd be six scholarships handed out to go and um, travel overseas to Austria during our summer, obviously, which was um, about a six-week trip, fully funded, um, no parents, no, you know, just <laughs> like... So I was awarded one of those scholarships when I was 10 years old, which was one of the... Wow. I think I was the... I was the youngest ever to sort of be involved in that. And, um, uh, yeah, so at 10 years old, I, I jumped on a plane. No and, way. Uh, and, and flew to Austria <laughs> and went for six weeks with no parents and went... <laughs> went that would have been Went crazy. over there and, yeah, I still... I look back at it now and it's like... Um, I don't know, I look at 10-year-olds now and I, I just... It, it sort of blows me away that that I actually went overseas without my parents at 10 years old and went skiing over there. Um, I mean... I, mean t- I don't know. I don't know. Times are different now, whether they are or not. But, um, yeah, my, my brother, Mick, who, who, um, who's been also a big part of my ski racing career, he was... He was part of that trip he was 13 years old and I look back now and I guess my parents thought well he's got his older brother with him you know he's he's 13 maybe he'll look after him um I I still yeah it's still I can't believe that 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 happened you know I'm not saying that that my parents shouldn't have done it because I think it was amazing but um yeah it was yeah it's crazy to think that you would go over there with a chaperone that actually I don't think that chaperone that was meant to be living with us actually lived with us at the time. Yeah. You know? So it was like the people that ran the hotel basically looked after us and they were a be- beautiful Austrian family that, you know, really looked after <laughs> us. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, the first thing that came to my mind was like, like, I'm sure you were being looked after and you were safe and all that. Yeah. But when you're 10, like I know when I was 10, I would have been scared to be away from my parents. Like even yeah. on a school camp, I'm like, I'd be like homesick and yeah. like, well, I want my mummy still. Like I was yeah. still in that, probably in that mode a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I, Did I, you like I that? guess I was, I, I, I do have some, I do have some vague recollections of being, you know, scared and alone and, you know, having some of that. But yeah, I mean, I, the, one of the funniest <laughs> things about that trip was, I'll never forget that my parents told me to, you know, take it easy, be careful. You're going to a new environment. You've never skied at these resorts before. You know, they're not, it's not perisher. You don't know it like you know there. And I was like, yeah, 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 all good, you know. Day one, I knocked myself out cold. <laughs> no like, way. Yeah, knocked myself out cold because I clearly did what they, you know, told me not to do and I wasn't careful with the environment and I went off a blind roll and like down into a, a huge sort of gully and yeah basically face planted and knocked myself out cold right. day one 10 years old no way so, yeah, that, country, was, that was my country. intro that was my intro to Austria <laughs> so Austria like is Austria kind of considered like you know like mecca for um for skiers like mm. if you're if you're going to make it as a as a professional skier that's that's where you have to it's like a proving ground yeah i mean if you are an austrian ski racer who has big success like you are a you're a rock star like that's that's it like you are um it's like their national sport yeah it's their national sport you know 
It's all over the newspaper. It's all over the TV. You know, it's a it's a pretty small country. You know, and that's their thing. They've got ski resorts all over their country. They love it. They're passionate about it. Um, I guess it would be like an Aussie um, swimmer or a footy player or a cricketer or yeah. you know, like yeah, yeah, the big the big sports of of, of Australia. Um, so yeah, you're a you're you're a god. You're a king. You're a rock star. So if, if you if you go over there and you beat an Austrian in a race, mm. you'd probably get some media coverage over there. Yeah, as the yeah. guy that beat their, their, oh, for sure. their hometown for sure. hero. For sure. yeah, yeah, or if those guys don't win, if those guys don't hit the podium in a World Cup, like yeah, the, the, everyone's asking questions why, and you know they they spend a lot of money on that sport and they expect results so they start sacking sacking coaches yes yeah sacking coaches i mean athletes don't last long if they don't perform you know they might make it onto the national team and if they don't perform that season they're gone you know yeah right so like so there's and there's another thousand guys behind them ready to just take their spot you know and that's that's part of the the reason why they're such a powerhouse you know is it's like you don't perform you're gone. There's another guy pushing right behind you to take your spot. Like, like the and if he's not performing, there's another guy. And that just, it, it just, it's just a flow on effect. It's unbelievable how many guys are there willing to, you know, willing to risk everything to, to like, to succeed. When, when you say risk everything, like, put their, put their lives on the line to go as fast as possible. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, risk everything. I mean, you know, you talk about like ski racing is a risky sport you know you're traveling at high speeds there's a lot of lot of stuff going on you know there's a lot of chance for injury there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of chance for things to go wrong so you know you've got to be skiing at like 110 percent the whole time yeah and there's dudes over there that are willing to do that and and risk and push and push and push till things blow up you know yeah like let's let's maybe gauge let's gauge some of the speeds like we've got to get to speed so you're talking predominantly about the downhill event yeah i mean i mean that's 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 a general that's a general comment about like risking you know like but yeah i mean the speeds the 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 disciplines i skied in were downhill and super g and they're they're considered the speed events the other two are the technical events um speeds in in downhill which is obviously the fast fastest event um i think the fastest speed someone's been clocked in recent history is 160 k's an hour um that doesn't happen very often i mean that happens only very very rarely and there's actually one location on one of the world cup circuits that happens that's but not that place, Kitzbühel. No, it's not Kitzbühel. Kitzbühel's, you know, super gnarly, fast, bumpy, icy, dark, gnarly. But it's another place, one of the other classics named Wangen in Switzerland. Yeah, right. Um, but I, I, I'd say, you know, a hundred and you'd have to say 140 might be um, fairly common every now and then. But you'd, you'd say an average speed would be somewhere around 120 k's an hour. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's still... You'd, you'd hit an indifferent section of the course. You'd probably be going anywhere from 
um, I guess you'd say at the slowest, you'd probably be going 80, 90 k's an hour. Yeah. You'd do 100, 110 quite often and, and hit 120 very, but, very often. But and, that's not yeah. just on a straight either. Like you're hitting rolls, you're hitting corners. Oh, yeah. You know, like yeah. it's it's not yeah. just doing 100, 100 k's an hour on a, on a nice flat bit no, of straight. It's not like a nice smooth highway. Yeah. This is like, you know. It's like it's, track, it's, tracked it's out, obviously, icy, rutted out. It's bumpy. It's quite often it's dark, so the light's quite flat. There's not a lot of sunlight, so you can't really see the 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 intricacy, intricacies of the terrain. You know, you're hitting jumps, blind corners, off camber turns. What well, you know what I mean? Like it's it's a mixture of everything. So it's all this is happening in in really varied terrain, and um, yeah, I mean you, you hit, you're hitting jumps and flying anywhere from. 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 metres off a jump, you know, so. Um. And, and and holding, like, I remember years ago you told me a story, I think you were competing at Kitzbühel and you said you were going, like, so fast, like, because you get to speed to where you just, you can't stop, you have to wait to slow down, is that right? Mm. Where, like, you just have to wait till you get to the end of the race or, like, you can't actually really slow down too much but you said you were coming through this section and it was like had a shadow of a tree over it and you couldn't see if it was bumped out and you just kind of felt like you just had to hold your stance and just hope pray that you'd done the training and hopefully your legs were going to hold through this one section because they were fully burning Mm. and it was icy and you didn't know what that little section had in the shadow is that Mm. right like was that, oh, yeah, that, is that I a mean, common that's, that, type that's of... That's quite a common occurrence, you know. Like, you, you come into sections and especially at the end of races, like, you know, the latter half... Of, you, you're talking like you might be racing anywhere from one and a half to two and a half minutes. Um, and at that speed, you get quite fatigued, like really fatigued. So, you know, that comes into play. Um, you come into sections, there's there's all sorts of sections in different courses which are super challenging for their own reasons you know but like yeah there are sections obviously which you come into it's dark you can't really see the the bumps or the ruts in the terrain and you're just kind of trying to pray your fitness is good enough and your lines right and you know you can you can hold the the forces that are actually pushing against you you know like the g-forces that are trying to suck you down to the ground and you're just trying to withstand those forces so it's like i mean that happens yeah quite often yeah Yeah. so like when you are like you know uh on the tour and um you know basically like living to train like what was a what was a day in the week what was a sorry what was a week in the life of of training like for you was it six days a week in the in the gym like doing physical stuff or yeah like yeah. All, all rounds like i mean well obviously i mean the year you'd i guess you'd sort of structure your year around um i guess you'd say the competition season would start at the end of november yeah um for me personally or, or if you're a, a speed racer um, racing the speed discipline. Let, let's just say it's a World the Cup Euro- season. European yeah. winter. European winter starts, you know. Yeah. So it's a European sport. Like everything's based around that. So it's, um, you know, you've got other things going on throughout the year, but you're not really putting a whole lot of focus on that stuff. Um, unless you're a sort of a younger athlete and you're aspiring to sort of make your way through the grades. But if you, if you want to talk about like 
um, the sort of higher level stuff, being a World Cup athlete. I mean, you would your year would start in your competition season would start in the end of November um, for the most part, um, which would mean and and it would it would go through till let's say March or April, early April probably. Um, so then I guess you'd sort of say your year really would start around the end of April or the start of May um, and and you'd sort of structure your year starting from there to try and build through May uh, June, July, August, September October and even through November so you've got about seven months to sort of prepare yourself for the next next um, season the next season like how many and so through that seven month period you know how many events in seven months uh, well, that depends, you know, I mean, the World Cup, so it depends, like, you'd probably do around 10 to 15 events, 15 World Cups, 20 World Cups, maybe. Yep. Um, but then you've got a lot of, like, uh, lower level races, like Europa Cup, which would be, like, the tier below, you know, that's kind of like the feeding ground for World Cup. And like, you have it to would kind be like of, the QS of surfing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's set up basically like it's very similar to something like that. You'd have yeah. the World Tour events and then you'd have the World Qualifying Series and we had the Europa Cup Series, which yeah. was, you know, equivalent to that. And you'd go and race a lot of those, you know. Yeah, right. You've got to try and like keep your world ranking high enough that gives you your start positions and it gives you obviously your world ranking and so you've got to get your results each year to maintain those world rankings and so it's not just those world cup races you've you know yeah yeah. if you were a legitimate like top 10 or 15 or top you know top 15 world cup skier you'd probably only do the world cups but otherwise a lot of other people would go and like dabble around and do a bunch of other races throughout the season so it's not yeah there's there's a lot going on in those um november to april months where there's a lot of racing and a lot of traveling and you're all over europe or america or the states and so there's not a whole lot of time to do a lot else like that like getting back to your question that's not that's not a time to make any kind of physical gains that's kind of so so all the gains are made from that in the off season may till end of November time. And then time, you when, know. The, when the season's on, you're, you're spending your time like preparing for the actual race and then recovering and, yeah. and looking at recovery, and injury you know. prevention, injury yeah. injury management, stuff yeah, like exactly. that. Exactly, exactly. That's all like your recovery. You're, you're trying to maintain. It's a maintenance sort of, yeah. you know, you're trying to maintain what you've done through that off season and, just and maintain as best as you can and recover as best as you can and try to you know prevent injuries or recover from injuries or you know so and it's, are you trying to like sort of peak at the right time as well yeah definitely yeah. you're trying to peak physically for for those things i mean you're trying to peak from from november it's hard because you're trying to peak from november to, through till or you're, you're at least trying to stay at that that fitness level throughout that yeah. time so demanding yeah it's super demanding physically <clears throat> so and like in the off season you're, like you're doing a lot of weight training obviously because it must require a huge amount of strength in your legs mm. in your core i'm mm. assuming yeah but um here's a question for you there's a lot of drugs in um in cycling mm. right it's always in the media and the news is there a lot of drugs in in the ski racing sport well, I, I, I don't know i i, I mean i don't think 
there's been a few, very few cases over the years where some people have been done for drugs, but you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a funny sport where it's like it's so demanding in so many different areas where like physically you need to be aerobically fit you need to be super strong you need to be agile you need to be fast you need to be you know you need to be like yeah so many different avenues that just being strong would not help you gotcha you know, like okay. um you know so i mean look there's been very 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 few you don't hear you don't that. hear about it you don't hear about it much, but yeah. actually now you describe it like that, it's it's utilizing a variety of different um, fitness. So it's like you said, it's cardio, it's it's strength, oh man, it's, it's like, agility. Yeah. It's um, it's it's ridiculous how many like basically every aspect of your physical yeah being needs to be like at its at, at its yeah at its height to. And then, then there must be that element of luck too. I mean, yeah, like there's luck. Yeah, there's luck. It's an outdoor sport. You know, you've got weather. You've got you've got snow conditions. You've got sunlight. You've got shade. You've got wind. You've got you've got all these different aspects of of and it's of an outdoor sport, and they're constantly changing every minute of the day. You yeah. Know? So it's like there is definitely some luck involved. Yeah. Um, like, would you always want your like heat to be earlier in the day? Because the track, because the course is like groomed and yeah. Look, I mean, I'm you know faster for the most part. I guess you'd say the earliest start number you have is most of the time an advantage. Yeah. Um, you know, there's certain there's certain places, there's certain tracks, there's certain World Cup tracks, um, which have been renowned that you can sort of based on the light and the way uh, the way the sun works and against the mountains and sun moving around like that you can you know benefit from a later start number but i'd have to say like most of the time that those earlier start numbers do benefit from a smoother track most of the time and you know the more bump that the more bumps in the course the more the ski tends to like bend and break and, and, and bounce a little and that every little bounce and that creates like, you know, you're talking like hundreds of a second. Like people win races by one one hundredth of a second. That's they crazy. might tie. It might be, you know, the top three people might be within, you know, less than a tenth of a second and that happens quite often. You know? That's crazy. Like, or or you, you know, could have a time differentiation of like three seconds but there's like 30 people in that gap 100 percent. yeah yeah, like, yeah. so crazy? it's like yeah quite often like the top 30 people in the world and 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 the reason i say that is like that's the way they they um you, you know you score world cup points so there might be 60 70 80 people starting in a world cup race but only the top 30 people score world cup points yeah so the winner scores 100 the 30th person scores one you know and that and 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 that's sort of that elite level of the sport um so those 30 people can quite often be jammed into 
You know, I've seen it. I've seen it jammed into like one and a half seconds. No way. Um, over over one and a half no. or two minutes time. Like so. Mate. You know, so that's like. So like you functioned in in such a competitive environment for so long. Like it must have it must have worn you down over the over the years in terms of having to you know have that pressure of staying relevant, staying competitive. It did how did it how did it wear on you mentally? Mm. Did you just get tired of the travel and then the? I'm I'm sure the types of personalities that you were competing against were pretty big egos and and characters to go up against. Like, oh yeah, I mean, uh, I guess it's hard. Yeah, I mean there were there were superstars all over the world, you know, that you're going against, and you just a. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you're kind of up against, like as an Aussie, you're up against the ropes the whole time. Like you're up against the ropes because you don't have the the funding, you don't have the programs, you don't have the support, you don't have yeah. the, 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 the staff, you don't have the, gotcha. the coaches, the you know, all that kind of stuff. So, like, and and that, kind, that kind of stuff add, does add up on you when you, you kind of look and go, well, um, and I guess the older I got, the more I realised sort of the less you had you yeah know? and it was like but uh, in, in another sense that was kind of satisfying when you did well it was like wow i did I, I i got to that level and i competed with these people yeah with with very little you know yeah, yeah. And, and and but yeah that was that was that was pretty challenging to deal with like, sometimes you always... when you look at you look at some of the and, and i guess i reflect on that a little bit more as i'm older now and i've I've been through it as an athlete and I've also seen it as a coach from the other side and you reflect on what you did and what you achieved, I guess, and, and where you got to with with what you had. Gotcha. Um, and, yeah, I mean... Was it like, yeah. like, was it like, like in Rocky Four <laughs> when, like, it was up against Ivan Drago and, like... Yeah. Rocky was like bench pressing um, cattle carcasses in the freezer, and but then Ivan Drago had like the awesome gym and the trainers and the and the and then modern technology. Exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. and but Rocky was running in the snow, yeah, running the snow, and, and punching and, meat and running. Yeah, stairs. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm just I'm just joking. But no, but seriously, like yeah. as an Australian skier, you, did you constantly feel like you're the underdog? Oh, constantly. Dude. And and constantly. also like the stigma associated with like, yeah. oh, you're Australian and you're a skier. Oh, man, like, like you must get so like, sick of that. Like, you kind of get sick of it. You like you kind of like people would look at you like. Oh, you're Australian. Like, do you even have snow there? And you're like, yeah, we actually do, man. You must and, have had that conversation. Like, I've had that so conversation many that many times. And it's like, um, yeah, I guess it was kind of frustrating. Like, people people would look at you like, who who the hell are these? And not take you seriously. I was like, yeah, and not take you seriously. And then you'd beat them and you'd be like, and then hopefully they'd feel like shit because they'd be like beaten by some Aussie kook. Yeah. Like, you it's know? crazy but you know like yeah it's it, that that happened a lot and and you did feel like yeah. you did feel like an underdog a lot of the time and which again as i said yeah. before it was quite satisfying when you really it's you awesome. won a race or you beat a lot of people or you yeah. beat all these you know 
people from countries with lots of like money and programs and yeah, all these things sure. behind them and all the equipment and all the you know like the equipment was a big thing like it's like oh, for sure. ski oh, I mean, supporting young kids and like yeah, it's, it's it's yeah. Did you? That's cool. But you, you know what? It's it's it, at the end of the day, it's like it's satisfying when you do it, you know, and you do it, you do it the hard way, and you and you sort of. I mean, let's know. let's face it; it's quite legendary. It, it really is. I mean, in terms of Australian sport, I, I I mean, I'm not just saying this because you're my mate, but I really feel like like you're one of the most underrated Australian Olympic athletes. Um, yeah. I really do feel that because of because of those things you were just saying, you know. Um, and that's where I want to go back to. So, okay, we were just talking earlier about, you know, you went you went over to Austria when you were 10 and you started competing. So you, you stuck with it through your teens. Okay, you were going to school at the same time, probably doing high school in Australia as well. Or did you actually give up your schooling just to compete full-time? No, 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 no. I am... Um I used to go to school. I used to miss the first few weeks of school every year. Um, and that was it. Um, I guess I'd take okay. some time off during the Aussie winter, um, which would have been, you know, only maybe a few weeks a year. But um, no, I continued like totally normal schooling. Went to high school in Sydney, primary school, high school. Um, went through the HSC, did all that. But yeah. once school was done, that was like that was the time um that i went and pursued it full time yeah okay. and that, and so i was 17 i was 17 when i finished the hsc i hadn't turned 18 yet um i think the year before that i'd had some, i'd had pretty good success as a as a 16 17 year old i think i was ranked second in the world for my age in yeah. in downhill and that's kind of when i went oh okay um, wow i kind of I, I guess i you know so, I, I came home so from that season and i and i had no idea that that was the case until someone rang me and told me and, and they said oh you're ranked second in the world for your age and and i was like oh no way yeah, like, cool and then uh, <laughs> i i guess that's kind of when i went oh i i guess i should pursue this a little further you know well that was my so, next question like yeah. at what stage did you just decide to go all in mm. well it was then yeah it was yeah. then when i when it was that and then i finished school and it was it was like all right um yeah so that from that age that's when i started going and spending five or six months a year in europe yeah right yeah because like when you get to that age like post high school that's when that's when a lot of the big life decisions that needed to be made like oh am I going to go to university am I going to get a full time job like you start to think like an adult and all that whatever an adult is I don't know anymore yeah. <laughs> but uh, but um, yeah and but then to commit and go look I'm going all in on this like that would have been a big call did you have the support of your family yeah I look it wasn't I don't think it was really a big call for me. I think it's just what I wanted to do. It was yeah. like, I didn't even, I, maybe I regret it now that I didn't go to university. Why? <laughs> no, honestly, why? Oh, you, I, you know, you look back and you're like, you know, a sporting career ends at a certain point and everyone needs something to yeah. to have. I mean, you do. Anyway, that's, that's, that's another topic of conversation. But I, 
yeah, I just went for it. It was like, yeah. all right, oh, I want to go skiing. I want to go ski racing. Yeah. I love it and I'm going to do it. And my parents were never, ever, ever pushed me into anything. You know, they were, they were fully supportive. If I wanted to do it, they were like right there behind me supporting me. So yeah. there was never any push from them to go in any direction, whether it be going to uni or going and being a skier. It was like, all right. Chase so, the dream. Yeah. So that was um, <clears throat> that was kind of where it, I guess it, yeah, went to full-time skiing from there. I reckon it takes so much courage to, to make the decision to chase a dream like that. Um, I think I think a lot of people, we all have dreams as a kid. Everyone does, in my opinion. I, I had wacky dreams of what I wanted to be. But um, I don't know. I think it takes a special type of person to actually then then actually go for it and that's mm. what I've like that's what I find really intriguing mm. um so then let's get to I want to talk about your first Olympic Games so your first one was the Salt Lake Salt Lake City in Utah yeah yeah so like what was the qualifying process for that um that's a good question did you already have were you already qualified because you were the second fastest man for your age no no see by that stage i was 20 what was i 2002 so i would have been 24 i think yeah i was 24 right about to turn 25 when the olympic olympic games happened um the reason i i mean every olympic games the the qualifying process is set by the australian olympic committee yeah so each one i went to the three i went to were completely different so you had to achieve different results to to get to the Olympics. So um, one of them might have been based on World Cup results. One of them might have been based on world rankings. And um, to be honest with you, I can't exactly remember what the first one was. Um, but I, th- I believe I was qualified quite early um, for the Salt Lake Olympics. But that was, um, yeah, that was a, that was a tough one. Um, I actually... I came into that super injured. Um, I'd, I'd, yeah, what, I'd, what, what sort of injury was it? Well, yeah, I'd about, I think it was eight weeks prior to the Olympics. Um, I had probably one of the biggest crashes of my life. No way. And, um, and I was at a World Cup in Italy and, um, yeah, things, things went horribly wrong for me through a, sort of through a compression off a jump and I ended up going backwards at... 110 k's an hour and sort of slapped down and um, knocked myself senseless. I snapped the top off my arm, dislocated my shoulder, and um, got helicoptered off the hill to a hospital in in in, in Italy. So um, yeah, that kind of hampered the the lead up to that first Olympic Games, which was yeah. And for for those people listening, he's got a scar that looks like a. Like a big slug down yeah. his shoulder. <laughs> it does. It How long does, is that yeah. slug? It's about ten yeah. centimeters yeah. long it's and, good, and yeah, thick-looking slug, like a like a witchetty grub. Um, yeah. So so that was yeah that was um. It was kind of heartbreaking when you were like twenty, yeah, twenty four years yeah. old, and about to go to your first Olympic Games. I mean, I'm in a helicopter going to a hospital in Italy, thinking, all no right, that's way. done. I'm done, you know. And and anyway, managed to. I flew home to Australia, um, had pretty intensive rehab going on, um, 
made it back in time just, but, you know, totally underprepared, still injured, um, and mentally super scarred from that crash. Like that was, it was, it was a gnarly crash and it was like, yeah, completely mentally scarred from that crash. So I was not in a good way at that first Olympic Games, you know, mentally. Did it put the fear in you? Oh, totally, dude. Did you have that that crash put the fear in me for, I think it was about a year and a half. Yeah, it took right. me to come back from that mentally, that that's, crash, yeah. Okay, that's not even that long. I thought you were going to say years, but... No, I think it was, yeah, it was It was kind of... Yeah, it would have been It would have been a year and a half till I started feeling confident that I wanted to go fast again. Yeah. Um, and then it probably took... It probably took two full years till I actually got over that, like, stress and that fear of that crash. No way. And, and understandably too, I mean, prior to that, did you just feel like you were invincible? Like you hadn't really had the fear put in you? Mm. Were you just a little, because I mean, as a 24 year old, I mean, I remember what I was like. I thought I was like six, seven foot tall and bulletproof. Yeah. Did you, did you have that bravado? Oh, I don't think I ever had that like crazy bravado of just being absolutely nuts. Was, um, I mean, I, I, the, the, when I was 16, I... I, it was. I think it was one of the first days I went and skied downhill. Um, I think I was just super stoked to be on a set of long skis and going super fast. And it was the morning of the race, and I, I actually was warming up for the race, and I flew off the side of the, off the side of the piece, off the side of the track, and off into some trees, and like snapped my leg clean no. off, like yeah, tib fib, stuck down in the trees. So I'd already had a pretty big injury. Okay. Um, I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't nuts, you know, I wasn't like crazy, but um, I guess you gotta kind of be a little bit nuts, but yeah, I, I wasn't like completely crazy. I yeah. wasn't full of like... Yeah. So that Salt Lake, that Salt Lake City event, I mean, that would have been pretty monumental for you. Like, can you, can you describe to me like the feeling and the thoughts that you had when you were just about to start your first run? in those Olympics how was the build up to it what were the nerves like oh I think can, I th- you, do, can you remember it or was it just oh, yeah, all no I can remember it I mean like you're obviously really stoked to go to your first Olympics and, and that whole experience of that side of thing was was great you know it was it was amazing but the feeling I had was just fear because of that crash from like eight weeks okay. earlier it was like it was I, I, I guess I was kind of overwhelmed by fear yeah, because right. of that and that that kind of you know for me I kind of think back and I just yeah it's it's not a great memory because of that you know because I know I didn't I didn't even come close to skiing like I yeah. could have or should have or would have if I had been confident but yeah, yeah. So that side of it's a little bit, you know, it's a bit not a, not ta- like a bit tainted, a bit tainted for me, you know. Yeah. But I mean, the whole experience of going to the Olympics and 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 representing your country and doing that was all, was fantastic, you yeah. know. And the experience of what the Olympics is. And, and what was and the vibe? What's the vibe like in, yeah. in the Winter Olympic Village? Mm. Is it just 
Was it different it's in just, each it's one? Just or is so, it? Yeah, each one's different. Each one has been different. Um, I'd have to say the best was Vancouver. Why? You know, I don't know. It just had a. It just had a. It just felt like an Olympics. You Did know? it? Like, it just felt. I don't know. There's a, a bit of a strong connection, I think, between the Canadians and the Australians. I think it was, it was quite cool. There's a lot of Aussies in Whistler. Whistler was the third one I went to, and um, yeah, it was. It was. I don't know. The feeling of it was just different than the other than the other two. Um, Were you a lot more relaxed the, th- the third time around? So you know, did you? Did you really call on the experience from the previous two, and you knew what, you sort of knew what to expect a bit more in terms of the pressures, yeah, the excitement, yeah, all yeah, that the stuff. media, all the all the hype that goes around it. Like, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, um, I was eight years older. Yeah, you've been to a lot of World Cup events. You've been to World Champs. You've been to other Olympics, and you kind of know what's going on. But it's still kind of special, you know. Like oh, so still, st- stuff still happens and comes your way. That's like you don't, you don't see on that regular, um, even on the regular World Cup circuit. Like there's just the, the the amount of media and like buzz around it, and 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 just the mm. villages. And even though you don't stay in the main village, um, because you're off in these sub sites, you okay. know, like because each each discipline or um, whether it be you know skiing or snowboarding or aerials or what whatever it is, oh, might they put have them the, in different villages. Yeah, so there might ah. be a freestyle village or an alpine village. You know, ah, depending okay. on where you are or you know whether gotcha. it be speed skating or somewhere there, there might be different venues yeah. all around. Yeah. So we we were off in a sub site, obviously up at Whistler for the last one, and yeah. Vancouver was the was the base site. So yeah. um, I didn't experience a hell of a lot of like of those. Um, the main villages, but I mean, just the sub sites and stuff were super cool. And yeah. I, d- I did go down to closing ceremonies and things like that and yeah. experience it. But yes. So like, were you actually in the opening ceremony as well? No, I never, I actually, out of all three Olympics, I never went to an opening ceremony. Why? And the reason is, um, every single time the men's training run for the downhill yeah. was the next day. Ah, okay. It was so the next morning, so yeah. you're up at like, you know, I think it might, I, I, might be a five thirty six six a.m. wake up. Yeah. You know, it might be hours away from from so, where you stay. Uh, okay. So because you're at a sub site, it's just not know, viable. So it's not really viable to go there and, um, you know, sort of I risk. Thought, yeah, risk. Sort of, you know, being outside, you're in, you're in cold temperatures all night. You could get sick, get, you get yeah. tired. You you know, you're kind of there to do a job, and that's like <sighs> sacrifices, to, yeah, sacrifices. So. But I did go to the closing ceremonies. Yeah, of all three. Nice, mm. and I'm I've got a feeling that you would have partied those nights. Oh yeah, like. You know how you missed the first, you missed the opening ceremonies, like, I thought you were going to say, like, what happened to Eddie the Eagle? Did you, what happened to him? What happened to Eddie? They got him drunk the night before the opening ceremony, <laughs> and then he, he, they found him in a, like, a cleaning closet wasted, and he had to, <laughs> poor, I felt so sorry for him. Have you seen the Eddie the Eagle movie? I saw it, yeah, I don't remember Dude, that. that guy, yeah. that guy is a legend. Yeah, anyway, sorry, tangent, sorry. But anyway, listen, so, 
Salt Lake City, epic experience. It had a lot of fear in you from your injury, understandably. Um, so then between then and the next Olympics, it was just on the tour, training, competing, just going after it. Mm. Like, would you, would you say you're in your prime after Salt Lake City? Was that Would that be like the best form you're in? Uh, no, no. I'd I'd say between between Torino two thousand six and between Vancouver two thousand ten. Okay. So that sort of stretch through there was probably um was the time that would have been yeah, that I felt that I was in my prime when I look back at it. Yeah. yeah. You think because and like and, 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 and then you know potentially beyond that if 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 that was viable yeah. in the end that you know i'd finished after 2010 so yeah. i don't know it just takes time it takes like experience experience and time and knowledge and you know and all that creates confidence and the whole sport's about confidence you know yeah. so all that stuff and you know there are guys that do it when they're young, you know, like, it, it, I don't know, it's funny, it, it all depends on your personality, your experience, your knowledge, your, you know, your talent, like, wh- where your strengths lie, like, all those things and, 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 and injuries and all these things that are play, yeah. play a part of, like, how your career sort of yeah. goes up and down over the years. How much is how much of it is it mental, though? Oh, I'd like say... Like, if you had to put a percentage on it... Yeah. Overall, what what percentage would you say it's mental at, at the top level? Yep. Um, oh, I'd have to say like a like a huge, like a majority. I would say a huge percentage of it is mental. Yeah. Like I've always said, and and then even uh, maybe I didn't realize it as much when I was an athlete, and I wish I did, but like now being a coach and standing on the side of the hill you can actually see people that are confident when they ski down the hill and you can see people that aren't confident like you can just pick it oh easy easy dude you can see like what what gives it away just their body language language of the way they ski of, of, of how hard they push themselves of you know you can see people that are panicking or pulling back or they're you know they're like you know they don't really want to push themselves and you you can just see it it's really really easy to see um, have you, have you have but you i would say i would say back to your question i would i would say like at the top level there's so many good skiers that are that are that are more than good enough that have enough talent to 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 win or be in the podium or be top 10 or whatever it is like, yeah. like that i'd have to say it's probably like 80 20 Okay, eighty twenty, like eighty yeah. mental twenty. Yeah, like, 80, 80. like it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, right. It's ridiculous. Like, like, like. I mean, when you, you know, when you get to that top level. Yeah. Like, there's everyone ski. Like in a World Cup race, for example. Yeah. Let's say there's sixty or seventy starters. Like, um, yeah, there's a lot of guys in that race that could. That could, they could be on the podium. They could yeah. be on the podium or whatever you know, and 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 a lot of it does come down to the mental strength. And so yeah. So what were you, what were you doing to like to prepare yourself mentally before a race? Not enough music. Uh, um, yeah, 
I mean, you see so many athletes now with their headphones in prior to, prior to doing something. Yeah, look, it took it but took it, a long, long time to figure out what worked best for me. You know. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, you get a lot, you get a lot of, you, you know, talk to a lot of people. You talk to a lot of um, professionals. You know sports psychologists like all these types of people that have that are trying to help you but it's really it's it's hard you got to kind of a lot of it you got to figure out yourself you know you got to figure out what works best for you yeah what gets you in the in the mind space to actually you know push yourself and commit actually commit to what you commit to your plan commit to what you're trying to do and actually yeah, it's 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 gnarly, man. It's um, yeah. It just takes again. It goes back to that experience thing, and it yeah. takes a long time. And and it took me a long time to to you know, for me personally, it wasn't something about like getting hyped up or, or super aggro and aggressive to like try and push myself. It was it was for me. I figured out a lot later that it was more about being like. In, in a calm kind of headspace to to actually be able to um you know to be able to be clear enough to be able to you know have a concise plan and actually push myself it wasn't you know i think you can still push yourself and be really aggressive in a calm way yeah you know so it was um that was that was you know it took a long time for me to figure that out it wasn't about jumping around like a maniac and being super aggressive at the start and that works for some people you know but everyone's different, so it's yeah, it's kind of it's hard, man. That's that's probably the hardest part is to try and tap into what what works for you, and then continually tap into that and try and get yourself in that in that mind space over and over and over again. It doesn't always work. Yeah, you can't always get yourself there. You can't always be like super, you know, mentally engaged that way. Like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard, especially when you're about to throw yourself down a mountain at you know a hundred, hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty k's an mm. hour. Like, there's, and then there's all sorts of other things that come into it with fear Did, and risk and yeah. how much you're willing to risk and what you want to. Here's a, here's a question for you: How did you find it, like, coming back to reality after being in those scenarios all the time? So, like in the off season then you come back to day to day you know Cronulla or mm. Kiriwi or um how did you find that like you know cuz you are like like you said you know constantly in this really weird sort of surreal life of traveling competing going fast training and then you come back to you know a place where all your friends are doing the nine to five and, you know, buying houses, having kids. How, yeah. how did you find that? I think, well, when I was really young, before, before the nine, before the nine to fives, it was school and it was like, yeah. you know, I used to go away and when, when I was really young, I thought I was missing out because all my friends were home and they were all, you know, groups of friends doing their thing and, and and then over time, it, you know, I realised that actually I was the lucky one that was going away doing something different. And then, and then it became, you know, your friends, 
that we might have been partying or like groups of friends having fun and going away and doing their thing and like you can sort of go through that you sort of go through that a few times and then it's you know and then it is the it might be the jobs or the the girlfriends and the wives and houses and families and things and yeah it's it's kind of hard it's actually hard to sometimes it's hard to relate to what they're doing and or for them to relate to what you're doing and um yeah it's not always easy but i just i don't know i i i never really through what through, throughout all that time i was never i actually never really felt like i wanted to do any of that stuff you know like it was like i guess i was happy doing what i was doing and i was kind of like oh, all right yeah go home for a while like it was awesome to see i got a really good you know circle of friends and you know, is that what friends ground, is that family. what grounded you yeah and they all grounded me you know like they didn't treat me any different they didn't treat me like i was anyone special or anything you know and that's and i'm and i'm super grateful for that you know because i think that's what that's what keeps you keeps you humble you know yeah. is is your friends and family and 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 uh, yeah i am grateful for that and i've still got that great group of friends today you know so yeah, you have um but yeah, it's not always easy to to relate to what they're doing and, and for them to actually know. And I don't, you know what? To be honest, I don't think a lot of them even know what I actually do. Like because they don't really, not that they don't care, but that they do care a lot. But it's like they're they're not interested in so much. They're in some more interested about you as a person, and they're your mate. You know, it's not like. It's not like they're mates with you because you're a good skier. Yeah. It was like they're mates with you because we've been mates since we were kids and we're still mates and we'll always will be mates, you know. Yeah. So, I don't know. Well, what about the, the friends? And I'm sure you would have made a lot of really solid friends and, and almost like family around the world as well. Like, did you make some really strong oh, connections? Yeah. Like, yeah, for sure. Like with, with, with guys, you, guys you skied with traveled with like uh, i mean there's times on the road that like you could never even explain to other people what you the experiences you had and what you did with those people and you kind of just yeah they'll remain friends for life because of because of those experiences and and you know you, you might see them in 20 years time and it'll be it'll be exactly the same as it was yeah because it's you know because of those I don't know those those t- the times you had you just yeah and and you you almost can't even explain them to other people so you just yeah so you ha- oh yeah I've made some amazing friends and from from di- a ton of different countries and um, you know I just had a, a mate of mine from Canada write to me yesterday and say hey you know I hadn't spoken to the guy in three or four years maybe maybe yeah. longer and he's like hey dude I'm coming to Sydney. It's like, sweet, come and stay, man. No way. You know, like, just things like that. They just sort of pop up out of the blue, which is really nice. And, you know, I'm sure I'll see him. It'll be like, just like it was like, yesterday. Yeah, like, that's that's how you know you've... That's how, how you know who your mates are. When you don't see him for a while, and then it's just like you pick up where you left off, and it's like there's no time passed. You know, I mean, everyone says it, but it's so true, you know. Yeah, it is. And that's they're, they're, they're the best friends, you know. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, man, that's so epic. And so, look, we um, 
like then you sort of went to you said Torino, Vancouver, all epic experiences, and you know now you're you're kind of in a different phase in your life. You, you are, you know, like it all sort of you after the Vancouver Olympics. You said that it was sort of end of your career, time to retire, um, and you transitioned into sort of ski coaching at a fairly high level. Is that right? Or yeah, so after Vancouver. Um, it all kind of ended pretty abruptly there. Like I was kind of planning on still, still ski racing. Um, I'd had a, another bunch of injuries. I'd had back injuries and um, leading into Vancouver again, another one leading into that. I mean, like I'd had some good success in the years prior to that between Torino and Vancouver. Um, you know, I really felt like I was getting into a place where I could I really knew like we talked about before how to tap into that mindset and what I needed to do to succeed and you know but I just had these injuries going on and on and and then some stuff went on with 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 funding funding by who Australian government yeah like you know the, the the people that were funding funding the sport at the time and they decided to pull the funding from the sport and um, so that kind of made my decision pretty easy or I guess I kind of had to retire from there because it was I mean such an expensive sport without that funding I couldn't continue so from there I kind of I went and started it was yeah started pursuing the coaching side of things Um, at the time my brother Mick was a um, he'd he'd actually done quite a lot of coaching by then. He was he was working for the U.S. ski team. He was working for the World Cup men's World Cup U.S. ski team at the time. He'd been he'd he actually been my coach for a number of years for the Aussie for the Aussie team. He'd also worked for the British World Cup team. He'd yeah he'd done a bunch of things by then. But at that time he was working for the U.S. ski team and um. I had uh, a few coaching contract things happening in Europe at the time and um, he suggested that I come along and, and help those guys out at a few of the big World Cups. And uh, so I did that. I, I went to Europe and went and worked with those guys, um, worked as a coach on the hill. I mean, it was it was kind of weird. It was, um, it yeah. was, it was a year, less than a year, after I'd finished ski racing and then I was standing on the side of the hill as a as a coach for <laughs> some of the you know some of the biggest names in the sport you know like and like you you know you stand on the side of the coach on the side of the hill as a coach and yeah. you, you kind of they sort of threw me into that um coaching group which was like you take a section of the hill and that's your section and you're coaching you're giving feedback, you're giving course reports on what the line is, what, you know, how the snow is, like what the athletes should, the line they should ski, how it sort of is, is looking, you know, so you, you got a bit no of, way. you got a bit of, they got a bit of, they got to put a bit of trust in you and, yeah. and, um, anyway, that but was, it, it was a really, like? it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of bizarre, but I really enjoyed it, you know, there's a lot of pressure, um, being put on you in that situation where like those athletes are trusting in your 
what you see, your knowledge, and how you relay that information back to them. Like it could be detrimental to yeah, their to yeah, their health. Hundred really. percent. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's you know, yeah. so it was it was it was quite cool. I really enjoyed it. And it was a bit of sweet. Yeah, I mean, not yes really. No. no, I mean you had a, I mean really by by normal standards you had a really long career. Yeah, I mean, it was. I I finished ski racing when I was. I wouldn't say I was old by any standards. Like there's guys racing into their late thirties, yep. even early forties now. But um, I just had. Yeah, it was. I mean, long as in, I had a lot of injuries and a lot of lot a lot of problems, like ups and downs. I'd I'd have a year or two where things started going well and there was another injury and it goes backwards and then mm. you got to build back up again and back down and back up and back, you know, so it was like, yeah, there was never a real long, steady progression. So it sort of, yeah, pushed out into my early 30s. But um, did you feel ready to be finished? Were you ready to be done? I, at the time, I didn't, I didn't think I was. But then in hindsight, when I look back, I was like, yeah, it was good, you know. Like, yeah. I think things happen for a reason and, um, yeah, I think I was, you know. Like, I, 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 still, I still believe that I think I had a lot more better skiing to do, but my body was giving out. I had tons of problems with my back and, and yeah. No, I think it's you know I'm I'm not upset in any way. Yeah. yeah. Crazy man, it's just crazy. Um, I I still love. I've always found this interesting about you. Like, you've you've skied so much, which is a stance where you are facing forward, right? So your toes are pointing forward and you're going forward with your shoulders square, mm. f- facing forward. But then you're such an avid surfer where you stand side on, and you know like I find it. I don't you don't meet too many people like that you know like it would be really logical for you to be to come like come back to Australia and become a pro rollerblader (laughs) but you do (laughs) (coughs) but but you come back or a scooter rider well and I've 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 seen this over the years you just come back and that's it it's just on let's surf like and you know and you and you surf well and you charge some epic slabs around the Cronulla area we won't say any names, but it's like, um, how, like, how do you find that 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 transition from facing forward to side on? I don't even think about it, man. You don't I think don't, about no, it. You just, it just no. comes natural because no. you've been doing it so long. I think so. Yeah, it must do. I tell you, my my arms when I start paddling again, they mm. they don't find it natural. Yeah, like recently. Yeah, I had four, four or five months out of the water, just from I, working down, just from working the in snow, the mountains, yeah. and like I, I could hardly make it out the back. Really? Yeah, I could hardly paddle out the back. Which I, I find interesting like, because I've seen you over the years. You'll be gone for a year, and you'll come back, and then you'll get two or three surfs in, and you, and it's like you never, you never stopped. Yeah. Oh man, it's it's hard. Like, like muscle memory. Yeah. The paddling thing doesn't take that long, I think, I find. It's like, you know, like recently here, like I have been out of the water for four or five months and each day I feel like I get a lot 
fitter each day you know what yeah. i mean like where it took me like 10 days and i actually feel pretty good after 10 days yeah um what are we at now two weeks and i feel pretty good see i also think that's a byproduct of good living like you've you've stayed active your whole life and so now you actually can enjoy the luxury of maybe not doing much for four months and then you can get your fitness back pretty quick yeah. maybe that's it muscle yeah. memory yeah i think so with the paddling it is yeah I felt like I didn't do a lot of physical fitness after I finished ski racing through those sort of the last 10 years. And I've definitely recently, um, I definitely suffered through that time for some back injuries and things like that. Like just not being, I think I just got so sick of like training all the time that I just sort of just bang, just stopped and did nothing. Yeah. And my body didn't like that like especially from all the injuries and stuff like it was um i think that was detrimental to my health of my back how many surgeries have you had um not that many surgeries like a lot of injuries because i know you had some pretty major back injuries yeah, over, uh, I- yeah, issues over yeah the i had i had back surgery um which was kind of daunting at the time but it was actually pretty easy it was actually probably the easiest surgery to come back from. Um, <clears throat> I had knee surgery, shoulder surgery. I think that's... I've only had three surgeries. Okay. Um, when I snapped my leg, I didn't have that operated on. Um, Just a clean, broken, clean yeah, snap. Yeah, broken... Yeah, tip fib snap, broken ankle, broken knee. I destroyed my knee, shoulder surgery. <clears throat> I've had, yeah, a lot of other... injuries which didn't require surgery but yeah the back surgery was actually the easiest of of all the surgeries i've had probably because that that (coughs) joint was it lower back like lumbar (coughs) (laughs) (coughs) tickle mate you gotta tickle and tickle in the throat there yeah lumbar lumbar surgery um, L45. I, I guess that typical. They can't move typical, too much. Yeah, typical yeah. back injury for a skier. That's what a doctor um, said to me. He said mm. it's the joints that have multiple planes of range of movement. Mm. Whereas, like the knee is actually not too bad because it can only go forwards and backwards, but yeah. shoulders and ankles, yeah, because they can move so many different directions. That's when yeah, yeah, yeah. Shoulders, shoulder was bad. Shoulder, my shoulder's never been the same since I had really? injured that and had surgery on that. Um, my knee was knees are pretty i mean i I actually i actually got pretty lucky with my knee i snapped the acl and ripped all the meniscus off the bone like i kind of flipped it over on top of each other and um that's actually been an injury that's sort of stopped a lot of people ski racing in their lives yeah just because of the the force and the impact that goes through your knees and like it creates like if you don't have that padding there like it uh, it can create a lot of bone bruising and like all sorts of stuff so i, I actually got pretty lucky there that yeah. that that recovered really well and yeah like with all the injuries you've had and the management and the rehab and the physio i mean it kind of feels like it'd be a good transition for you to to go into would be sports re- rehabilitation mm. and management yeah. have you ever thought yeah. of that i have actually yeah you'd be great at it because i yeah. know there's times over the years where i've been injured and you'd be like shan you know maybe go and check this out or try this do some trigger point release or you know like and it's yeah. it's you've probably gained a lot yeah. of knowledge I, there as well yeah i have i've gained 
tons of knowledge there like yeah. and i've actually thought about that but it's like i don't know it's just it's uh, <laughs> having injuries like that is like it's actually a pretty good way to learn about your body and learn like learn about how things work and and mm-hmm. what's you know what's going to help you the most how you recover from it how how all these things link link to each other and how a back might link to a knee mm-hmm. or a hip or a, or your hip might link to your back or you know all these things yeah. it's just like yeah i don't know it's been pretty interesting i i find it pretty interesting yeah i i Here's a deep question for you. All those years of being a dedicated athlete, how do you feel they've impacted on your um, approach to life now? Hmm. <laughs> That's a good question. Too deep? No, no, no it's it not too, too deep. deep. No, no, I, too think, deep. I think you learn. Too deep. No, no, you learn. You learn a lot from being an athlete I think about yourself how you push yourself your dedication your resilience your you know uh, I don't know just so many factors of of being an athlete and and working so hard towards a goal and um like how many putting times that, putting that dedication in and just being beat down so many times and like getting up and fighting and yeah. you know like resilience I think, man yeah it's it's uh, you learn a lot about yourself and I think you you know you, you learn a lot about how to you know push yourself you know I don't know there's just a lot of life lessons in being an yeah. athlete you, I mean, know? you must like, have gone through so much self doubt too like what am I doing is this like am I wasting oh yeah like the amount of times you succeed versus the amount of times you don't yeah. is ridiculous. Like, yeah. you kind of look at it and you go, oh, man, why did I do that? Like, and, and what kept you going, though, all those years? What was, the, the, what was there something you would tap back into? Was it that just that support and grounding of your family no, and know, friends? I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's everything, you know, like, but I'm kind of a, you know, not a perfectionist, but like, like I'll do things and 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 know that you can do them way 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 better, you know. Like, mm. um, but what happens if you can't for various reasons? How do you how do you cope with that? I think that's like you can't because of you know. I think I think that comes down to like in the end that comes down to like your body and what yeah. your body will let you do. Yeah. And that comes down to injuries and all those kind of things that like hold you back. Yeah. Um, and and can't. I just. Yeah, I think mentally you can always do that, but like you've just they're the challenges, man. Like the mental challenges, the physical challenges are probably harder. You know, when your body can't let you do that anymore. Like I, I go skiing now, and I want to do things, but. Get frustrated. I get, yeah, you can get frustrated because your body. You know that if you do them, mm. your body just won't let you like ski at that level anymore. And yeah, like, I mm. don't put, I don't put specific boots on or skis on these days because I know my body can't handle gotcha. the forces of those. Like, and you can't trust yourself to not just want to go straight down that. No, <laughs> no, I still can't trust myself. Like. I still do it to this day. Like yeah. I still, I still, you get that, like you get that 
feeling in your, or your, that thought in your head or that feeling that you just want to go or you want to like do a certain turn or you want to like ski a certain way mm. um, and your body just can't is cope like, with it anymore. Is the, love, is the love still there though? Like when you put on a pair of skis and you just, does it become more pure? Like you're like, I just want to go carve carve some lines down the mountain oh yeah when when the when the when the when the snow's right when the conditions are right when you've got the right equipment like for sure definitely you just want to like that feeling of like laying a ski over and like pressing as hard as you can and the reaction you get back from it and that feeling of you know reading the terrain and you know you know beautiful snow the, the, the feeling's still there definitely it's but more, it yeah. becomes a bit more zen without sounding too like <coughs> but it must it, it has to surely because it's so ingrained in your dna now mm. yeah yeah it is it's like i don't know it's it's nice to be able to do it so easily when you want to yeah um but i don't need to do it as often as okay. I used to, gotcha. you know what I mean. Like yeah. it's, it's like, you know, I could maybe if it was a really nice morning, I could go out and do two runs and you're done. of beautiful snow and like, whether it be powder snow or nice firm groom snow, or whatever it is. If you got the right equipment on your feet and you got the right, you know, the right gear, the right equipment, like, I don't need as many runs now to yeah. like make me happy. Yeah, nice, man. I'd prefer to go and find a surf somewhere. <laughs> you froth on surfing, do you? <coughs> I do, man. Yeah. I can tell. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I, I, I missed a lot of surfing when I was young. Yeah. Do you feel like, like, you feel like you've got some, some years, years to, to get back in the surf? Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. I think, yeah, as long as I look after my body. Yeah. Like my back. You, yeah. 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 And like, do you feel like you need to stay fit so you can like, you know, when someone's paddling for a wave, right? Like, do you feel like you need to be fit enough to like paddle around them so then you're on the inside position? <laughs> nah. Is that your? Is nah, that what motivates nah, you? Nah, 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 nah. What if well, that nah. person who's going for the wave is a bodyboarder? No, no, I'd prefer to. No, my biggest issue with, with surfing is yeah, what making biggest? sure that my body, like my back, that's the biggest thing yeah. still to this day. And that's been since I was 19 years old. Mm. Um, oh. So it's been, what, 20, 20, 20 odd years now. Yeah. Um, and making sure that I stay strong enough and fit enough that my back holds out so I can surf till I'm 60 or 70 yeah. or Yeah, that's what I'm in for, the long game now. I just, I just want to be able to, like, I say this a lot, is like, I'm just really focused on being able to surf and skate for as long as possible. Mm. Like, so I'm really focused on injury prevention, like, especially with the skateboarding stuff, because you can get injured so easy. And I went through that same sort of phase where I was like, oh, like, I can't do what I used to be able to do. Not that I was ever that good anyway, but it was more just like, I watch a lot of skate videos and I see kids at the skate park doing crazy stuff. And like in my head, I'm like, I just want to go for that. Mm. And then like, I think wisdom has shown me that no, you don't look, you don't need to do that and you can't, and you're going to hurt yourself if you do, but just enjoy the basics and enjoy the feeling of cruising around and, and, and doing 
like just dancing on the edge. Yeah. Like I don't want to, I don't want to go over the edge anymore. Whereas like when you're a younger man, you just, you don't care about the edge. You just mm. there to, and, until you injure yourself, I guess. So. Mm. Now, often a bit of a tangent. I want to go back to surfing really quickly. And I've, this is a, a, a serious question. Like, how do you feel about the state of surf culture? Because I, I think about it a lot and we talk about, I've, we were talking about it earlier in the week. How do you feel about it? Like so many people surf now and you've surfed your whole life and you've surfed really good waves. You've just surfed around the world. What's your, what's your take on it? What do you mean surf culture? Surf culture. Like, like how do you feel about like where it's at? Like with the amount of people that surf and. Oh, it's definitely like it's increased. And like etiquette. Ridiculous li- li- Like lineup etiquette. All oh, that stuff. I guess it. I guess it just depends where you go. Like, uh, even at home, like I feel like it's just getting so much more crowded, and the surf etiquette is probably not quite where it should be. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> tricky. Know, it's like it's hard because everyone wants waves, and it's such a good sport. It's such a fun sport, and everyone's. Everyone wants to. Everyone wants a part of it now. They do, you know. And there's no regulation on where you can go, like how good a surfer you are, as opposed to where you can go. Like anyone can, you know. You can almost get out to almost any break. Mm. Like, yeah. Like, regardless of your skill level, and it's kind of like, and and I just. I don't know, you see a lot of people that come out and surf and don't really know the etiquette or surf etiquette or surf knowledge to like to actually even surf some of those breaks or mm. so I don't know. But like dude it's it's hard. Like you know, the surf industry has grown so much over the years that it's promoted surfing and everyone wants to be part of it. And with that comes a lot of people and Creating. there hasn't really been a lot of education on there hasn't on and to me to me it's so simple it's to me like it's so simple like you said education is the key like like even in in Wollongong in Australia there's a surf they call it the, it's a surfing reserve where, where the farm and mystics are like which I know you know that area well mm. growing up down there and they've just got like a simple big sign with like surf etiquette, you know, like this is what's... Is there? There's a sign there. There's a sign there now yeah. and it says... And there's also one in Angari at, yeah, mm. at, um, at Angari there, which yeah, is sick. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, this is what dropping in is. This is what snaking is. Right. Um, and then it says things like, make sure you communicate if you're splitting the peak. Like yeah. things like... Yeah. And like just those little details yeah. just make such a big difference. And mm. I, I kind of want to promote it like... You know, like how hard is it just to go, hey, like, or, or give give someone a wave every now and then. Mm, like, mm. you don't need to paddle for every single wave that breaks. Yeah, you know, yeah. and like, I have to tell my, myself myself these things as well. But yeah. I don't know. I reckon like awareness is key. But then it gets really tricky with um, when you've got so many different nationalities who are so into it now that weren't into it. Like I'm noticing it in Bali. Um, it's a lot of Russians that surf, you know, yeah. they, and they actually moved to Bali. And, yeah, right. And, uh, yeah, and they're right into it and they're getting, and they're getting good, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's going to be hard to communicate, you know, that way too. So yeah. yeah. Education, man. It's Education, tricky. communication. 
So anyway, listen. What's next for Buddos? What is next? You've just had a beautiful little boy, little Ziggy. Yeah, little Zig. And um, how's that going for you? <laughs> it's pretty amazing, man. Yeah. Uh, um, he's nine months old now, and we've spent, what have we spent, four or five days together now? Um, yeah, it's been a, what am I, I was, four, I was 41 when I had Ziggy, so I took, definitely took my time. Didn't uh, didn't rush into things, but yeah, lucky. <laughs> um, no, it's been it's been really really amazing. Um, Why? Everyone says it. Why is it amazing? <laughs> I'm just I, curious. Yeah, I don't know. I just look. I, I know I just, it is because I've had. You know, one. I lived. But I, how would I you lived describe a Very that? different life for a long time. I didn't. I didn't sort of go down the kid zone for a long time. Why? Because um, of your lifestyle. Well, I think because of my lifestyle, I wasn't ready. Like maybe not just because of my lifestyle, but I didn't. I don't. I didn't. I didn't feel like I was ready to do that, and I didn't want to do that when I was. 25 or 30 or 35 and whether it was my lifestyle or whether it was me um but yeah by the time i was like 40 and you know sarah and i had been together for i think 10 years at that point and we were married and we were like all right well yeah there was time let's do this it's time yeah and um and it was the right time it was good man it was it was amazing and yeah it's it's like yeah for, for me, it, it's hard to describe to people, and I thought I understood it before I had kids, and then I had kids, and then I, I, I get it, but you don't really get it until you have your own deal. No, 100%. No, yeah. no. Like, I was not... Yeah, you just you just don't get a lot of the little things that happen when you, ha- happens when you have kids. Like, it's... Yeah. A, a lot more let's put it this way a lot more makes sense now that you've got your own kid yeah you know and um yeah it's just amazing to see what two people can create and like it's just mind-blowing to me i used to i still look at him now and cannot believe that he was in my wife's stomach and grew yeah. in there and yeah. came out and now we created this little <laughs> human and it's and such he's a like, game changer. He, yeah, it's just like it's it's just so mind blowing that he's now he's he's a he's he's a product of us, and he you know he looks exactly like his mum, and he's you know we're still trying to figure out who he acts exactly like, but we yeah. think it's probably more like me, and he's well, a handful. I, I didn't notice. And like, yeah, he's <laughs> no, he's yeah. Don't, don't it's just wrong. amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just mind blowing. It yeah. is. Yeah, for me, like for me, I had this moment. It was like, okay, all of a sudden, my my perspective on life just changed. Like, I know every parent has this. I was like, oh, okay, like, I guess my purpose, I get my, my purpose is it's to perpetuate life on this planet. Like, yeah. uh, uh, you know, just put everything into perspective. I was like, okay. Because prior to that, you don't realize, I didn't realize how just selfish I was for my, my yeah. whole life. Like, it was all about me, me, me. Yeah. Um, and these kids, like... They they so force you to get out of yourself and get out of your head and just think like if you think it's all about you anymore, what you're dreaming because yeah. you've got nowhere to hide. Like it's like oh, dude, they yeah, they they make you so vulnerable. They do, and they? yeah, you're just like I don't know. It's, it's like super challenging that, that those first like for me anyway the first 
I'd say like f- six to eight weeks was just like where you just yeah like yeah. mentally mentally challenging like scared as I was scared like just not knowing what you're doing like not having a clue what's going on like just you know sleep deprived all those kind of things just like super challenging super mentally challenging like they test you more than anything's ever tested you before yeah and and like i say it was four to eight weeks but it's still going on now like they test you every single day mentally you know and and your relationship yeah totally and like would you say that it's brought out the best and worst in you uh, yeah, yeah. Like I think it, like it, it actually shows you what your weaknesses are. Definitely, like your personality traits, your weaknesses and your personality traits, and 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 it's kind of, yeah. I guess it's a lesson of what you need to work on. Yeah. yeah like it's like <laughs> it's, it's gnarly. For, it's gnarly. I, for me, like I feel like yeah, it's right in your face. Like I see, I see um, my. My, my good points in my kids and I also see my flaws in them yeah. sometimes. And well, not in just in them but in, in yourself, like well, how well, you react and sorry, how you... Sorry, exactly. You know? Like uh, Maybe that's a better way to describe... You're right, it brings out... That's a better way to describe... It brings out my flaws and makes them more um, highlighted. Yeah. I can see them and I can actually understand them more yeah. and it's... Look, it's definitely made me want to improve myself and be a better better human i think yeah. i think most parents would have that you know yeah. you and would then, hope but, but i mean i know there's a lot out there who run away from it as well yeah oh and totally I, and yeah. I, I i mean this is going to be a little bit controversial but i do understand how some people would run away from run away from it yeah yeah like it would be it, easy it would be pretty it would be easy, so to do. easy to like, yeah yeah because yeah. it's it's actually really challenging yeah and there's not you know, there's definitely people out there that don't want that challenge, and mm. um, yeah, it, it's 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 gnarly. You got it loaded, like, yeah. But I think it's hard for dudes as well, because like, like women are so good at getting together and just like talking about it all. Like they mm. can all they can always bond about mm. the childbirth ex- mm. experience, which we will never understand the childbirth experience, and they can they can connect on that level. Oh, like this happened to my body, and this and that, and then they'll openly talk about their feelings and this and that and how they're how they're going with being a mother and but i just feel like dudes don't talk about that stuff and then they yeah i mean it's it's that like dudes don't talk about that specifically but they don't talk about much specifically no like (laughs) you know what i mean it's not just it's not just it's not just being a dad or a new parent or, uh, you know, the challenges they face there, but it's like they just don't talk about anything else. Yeah. Like they don't, like like women do. Like women, I don't know why, but they just like, they open up to each other. And mm. I think the Australian, the Australian bloke is really like the stereotype that's a big stereotype for the Australian bloke yeah. is that you don't you don't, you you don't go too deep you don't know. go too deep you don't, don't let yeah. your mates know that you no, I'm, you know. I'm having a tough time here like yeah it's yeah. different it is different because like I've got you would you have know, seen that overseas well my wife Sarah's Swedish and the culture of those guys and those people is, is very different did to, you find it weird us. at first like um not weird yeah I guess I guess I just you know yeah, I can tell that they're, you know, when I hang out with them, they're, they're different, you know. 
like they're a lot more I'd, I'd say they're in general and, and this is a sort of a generalization but they're probably a lot more uh, emotional or you know sensitive sensitive connected mm. like talk to each other about more stuff like yeah like different to Aussie boys that's what I'm like the last year that's been a huge learning curve for me because I'm sort of surrounded by a more diverse range of nationalities and um I'm seeing males from different countries who are very different to the Australian male and are like emotional sensitive and like it's just been a bit of an eye opener because I've been so conditioned that this is what a bloke should be throughout my whole life in Australia and I'm sort of I've met a few dudes that like that's not a bad thing either it's it's just been like oh wow like you know Mm. it's it's been it's been different in a good way yeah definitely good way yeah man well listen it's been epic it's been an hour and 43 minutes really buddy. an hour and 43 I didn't minutes know you, I didn't know you could talk that long no yeah neither did I how's, yeah. your, how's your voice box a little rusty yeah right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listen while I've got out I'm gonna do something I, I, I've never done before and like maybe you can just help me through it because okay it's really out of my comfort zone and um I, uh, I'm going to plug something and it's because I feel really like passionate about it. And there's a, one of our previous guests, um, Dr. Changa Kulu Kururatni. He is a, an internationally recognized, uh, physician, doctor. He's also an advisor to the World Health Organization. Um, he's, he wrote a, uh, a paper on infectious diseases, uh, specifically dengue fever. And he's been regarded as, uh, a leader in the study of dengue fever. Um, he's also really interesting guy because he he challenges modern the modern um, health system and the overprescription of medication um, and this curative approach that um, a lot of uh, health systems are taking to to um, to medical conditions as opposed to a preventative stance. And he wants to change that, which is really interesting because he's a traditional doctor and general practitioner and he wants to he's seen the dark side of of medicine and and this over prescribing and he talks about times when he was a doctor he would get reprimanded for um for not writing enough prescriptions you know and and he's seen that like you just have to look at epidemiology and the data around it that um that approach isn't actually helping the health of countries. It's actually it's hurting it, um, and it's just making pharmaceutical companies richer and richer. So, I really respect him for stepping out. But you know, good on him. Like he's a bit of a he's a bit of a cowboy in that in that department. And anyway, him and his friends have got together and they've started up a website called um, samanahealth.com. And um, you can actually subscribe to it for US fifty dollars a year, and then you can have instant um, communication with them via text message email skype calls and they will consult with you so you can get a doctor's consultation like a legitimate really good general practitioner's um advice online and then they can refer you um refer you on so you can actually take more ownership of your personal health and that was something he talked about like people aren't taking ownership of their health as soon as they've got like a bit of a cough or a sneeze they just go to the doctor and the doctor prescribes some antibiotics or something like that when really they could have just managed it themselves with some some you know 
like a hot lemon and honey drink. Like that's a really bad example. So yeah, it's samanahealth.com and it's like a $50 um, subscription and you get instant access to general, like med- general internal medicine advice, immunology, um, infectious diseases. They can give you advice on nutrition and uh, they're also donating a, per- a percentage of their profits to a school in Sri Lanka. And, um, yeah, it's great. And like I said, smanahealth.com. That's S-A-M-A-N-A health.com. There you go. There's my first ever plug. And it's because I really believe in it. It's good. I'm not getting paid either. Yeah. How'd I go, bud? Great, Jim. Good plug. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I feel a bit funny. I was always a bit like, I'm not going to plug shit all on this fucking podcast. But I did it. But it's only because like a good one to plug, dude. You reckon? Yeah. It's because Doctor Changa, uh, he's he was episode four, and then I he came back on, but he's actually left Bali because he's I don't know, just being a legend, helping people around the world. Um, yeah, he was a previous guest who just gave up his time and just yeah, I just want to help. He, he actually messaged me and said, "Would you plug it?" And I was like, "Dude, for anything for that guy, like yeah. he's like a modern day Buddha. Yeah. He even looks like Buddha. Yeah. He wouldn't mind me saying that." <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but I was, listen, man, it's been epic, and I also just think it's so weird that like it's so <laughs> rad that we're doing this at the Pink Coco. Like we've got we've got so many good memories here, I bro. Know, a lot of fun here, man. Thanks for having me on, dude. Dude, thanks for being yeah. on, man. Yeah. Like I. Like I said, man, I, I just feel so, um, you know, I feel so stoked to be a mate, man. I just feel like there's no coincidences in life. And then I look at us with our, with our little boys oh. and they're so fucking similar. Oh man, it's hilarious seeing those two together. Dude, it's weird. They're like, um, they're like brothers from another mother's. <laughs> they are. <laughs> it's hilarious. Like that photo we got in the yeah. pool with you and I, like we've both got a beard, shaved head. Yeah. And we were sort of like the same height. And then yeah. our two little boys were both like this close in age, same size, blonde hair, fair skin. It was trippy. And they got the same personality. And they just want to wreck shit. Yeah. That's rad. I'm so yeah. proud of them. Yeah. Keeps All us right. tired, man. Keeps us tired. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Let's go away. Eh? Thanks a lot, High five, man. Pink cocoa. Yeah. Hey, so before we kick off the podcast, I just want to talk about getting your morning kick in Belmont Coffee. Belmont is owned by skaters, barbers, tradies, and musicians. They came together with the idea of creating a co-pilot that's next to you on the late night drives, early mornings on the job site, or a midday pick-me-up. Ethically sourced beans in a sustainable can and ready to go when you are. Use the code THT to score a discount at belmont.com. That's Belmont, B-E-L-L-M-O-T-T dot com.